I'm Damian Bulwa. Today on Fifth and Mission, we present Point Blank, a look at a controversial police shooting in suburban Danville. We're first going to play you some audio from one of the officer's body cameras. It's not from the shooting, but from an attempt by Danville police to stop a driver named Latimer Arboleda in November 2018. As the officers approach Arboleda's car, he drives away. Arboleda, who was then 33, and according to his family, struggling with mental illness and paranoid delusions, refused to stop and led officers on a low-speed pursuit. A little more than a minute after that interaction, Andrew Hall, an officer who sped to the scene from another direction, killed Arboleda, shooting him at point-blank range through his windshield and passenger side window. He was unarmed. Reporter Rachel Swan spent months investigating the shooting, which remains under review for possible charges by the Contra Costa County District Attorney's Office. She obtained videos of the shooting, which are available along with the story at sfchronicle.com slash point hyphen blank. Rachel, how are you? Good. Thanks, Damien. Rachel, it's an incredible story, and it says a lot about the tension over police shootings in the Bay Area and around the country. I want to ask you first, why did you look into this shooting of Latimer Arboleda? Well, um, I looked into this shooting um, in part because we at The Chronicle thought it was a shooting that although it had been covered a bit, it was also a bit overlooked or it it spoke to a lot of issues that we've been thinking about in policing and um, it deserved a new look, especially in light of what's happening with George Floyd. It got into the issue of whether police should shoot into moving vehicles um, and also, you know, treatment of mentally ill people. Yeah, obviously a, a big issue. And, and Rachel, as you write, it's the expansion of a lot of police transparency laws that have come out of the controversy around police shootings that allowed you to get a lot of the materials, right? That's true. Yes. All right. So. Rachel, before we get into the shooting, tell me about Latimer Arboleda. What was going on in his life uh, in 2018? Latimer Arboleda was 33 years old in 2018. He had lived with his mother for all his life. Um, He was someone who was very sick as a child, and um, his mother always kind of felt the need to take care of him and look after him. And we know from his siblings that he was showing signs of mental illness um, throughout his life, though it appeared to be mostly untreated. Um, he eventually did have a psychotic breakdown a few months before the shooting and was sent to John George. At the same time, he was um, trying to become more independent from his mother, and he was working and saving up money and was even considering moving out. So there was this tension in his life at that point. All right. And you talk about mental illness, but this is a, a very particular kind. He was actually, according to his mother, experiencing some kind of delusions, huh? Yeah, he was experiencing paranoia and delusions. So schizophrenia. And his neighbors uh, remarked on on his behavior at, 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 the, at the home he shared with his mother. Yeah, he, what he was doing at the time was he was pouring salt on his neighbor's patio and walkway. They lived in a two-story condo complex in Newark. And so there were walkways separating the different homes. And Arboleda would 
pour salt, apparently to ward off evil spirits. He was also stuffing items into people's locks. So I guess it began with cardboard, but also he would use harder cement type material that would damage and break the locks. Um, And so neighbors did call the police on him a few times. They noticed he was behaving very oddly. All right, let's go to November 3rd, 2018, which is the day of the shooting. Rachel, what what do we know about why he went from his home in Newark to Danville on that morning? So the theory I've heard from both his mother and his brother and sister was that Arboleda was really intent on getting his own place to live. And um, the property manager for his mother's condo lived in Danville, or at least he thought he lived in this particular part of Danville. So um, they believe that he was looking for this property manager um, in order to um, negotiate getting his own place. Um, I've also heard a theory from his sister, by the way, that he may have just liked Danville because he occasionally uh, he occasionally drove to visit her in San Ramon for lunch. So um, maybe he just wanted to walk around there. But at any rate, um, when he spoke to people at this place where at this uh, little residential cul-de-sac where he wound up, he s- told them he knew where he was going and he wanted something very specific, though no one knew what it was. Okay, so he's in the neighborhood in Danville. People are getting suspicious. You report that neighbors called the police and we have audio of that 911 call. Let's take a listen. Uh, we've had a strange individual looking around the, looking around uh, our property, standing around the door, uh, refused to leave. When your neighbor confronted him, what did he say? He wouldn't say anything. He refused to talk to the neighbors. Police arrive to the neighborhood, and what happens next? So when police arrive... Arboleda is actually climbing into his Honda Civic and um, they see him because he he matches the description that the caller gave. And, um, you know, uh, one of the, the, the deputy um, officer, uh, I'm sorry, deputy Sonasimaka um, gets out of the car and stands in the street and tries to flag Arboleda down and just say, Hey, hey, you know, stop for us. What are you doing? And at that point, Arboleda just uh, drives off. You know, he drives south down the street called Laurel Drive. And that begins this sort of bizarre rambling pursuit in which police repeatedly try to get him to stop. And he just keeps eluding them or like he almost stops at a few points and then drives off. But it's not totally clear you know, whether it's because he he did something wrong or he's just scared. And it, it, so you see the police getting increasingly baffled and frustrated throughout the chase. At this point, he hasn't committed any sort of major crime. He, he didn't commit any crime in the neighborhood, right? And and though they, right. you, you're not supposed to evade police, uh, that is sort of the extent of what he's done. Exactly. I mean, later they would say, okay, he failed to yield at this point, or he he ran a stop sign. Um, But really, his only crime, according to the police report, or rather, his only crime at that point was that he failed to obey commands. All right. And he's in his own car, which is registered to him. And you make the point that it's possible they could have caught up with him later, but they do pursue him. Let's, Let's go to that moment of the shooting. What happens? How does it get to this point? 
So Arboleda, you know, they're on this chase. It's through residential neighborhoods. Arboleda appears to be lost and possibly trying to find the freeway. Um, they do pull up at gunpoint at, at one point and he drives away. And one of the officers said, says to the other officers, hey, don't shoot, don't shoot. Um, then as he's dri- driving up this street called Front towards a main street called Diablo Road, um, a new officer drives in from the other way. Uh, Andrew Hall and another and the supervising sergeant named Sergeant Martin. So there are two new vehicles um, almost blocking Arboleda's way, except they leave enough of a gap for him to squeeze through. Um, At that point, Hall jumps out, uh, goes around his own vehicle, stands in the path of Arboleda's car, which he's he's stopped momentarily. And then he decides to move forward, you know, like knowing he can squeeze through the gap left by these two vehicles. And um, Hall steps in the path of the car and then jumps out of the way and then starts, as he's getting out of the way, he shoots Arboleda. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, more with Rachel Swan on the shooting of Latimer Arboleda and how it was handled. You can support Fifth and Mission and the newsroom that creates it by signing up for unlimited Chronicle access at sfchronicle.com slash pod. Welcome back to Fifth and Mission. I'm Damian Bowl. I'm joined by Chronicle reporter Rachel Swan. We're talking about the police shooting in Danville of Latimer Arboleda in November 2018. Rachel, you just described that the officer fired at Arboleda, who was unarmed, uh, through his windshield, through his passenger side window as he tried to squeeze through two police cars. Uh, What did the officer say about why he fired? The officer said he was afraid for his life. He said that he believed Arboleda was going to hit him with the car, that Arboleda was going toward him and going to ram him and kill him. Okay. Before we get into some of the arguments around that, Rachel, one amazing thing in the story is that you have an account of police officers actually informing Latimer Arboleda's family, his mother, that he was killed. What happened? Yes. Well, so Arboleda's mother is a very devout Catholic. She was at mass that evening. Um, they had actually tried to go to her home and knock on her door, but she wasn't there. So they called her while she was in mass and she doesn't pick up then, but she calls back later and she's wondering, you know, who are these strangers who are calling me? Um, they, the, uh, lead investigator from the DA's office said, I am an investigator. Ultimately they arranged to meet at the Newark police station and the investigators ask her questions for 11 minutes before they finally tell her that her son has been shot and killed by a police officer. So they're trying to get some information about her, about her son for 11 minutes. Mm-hmm. And she still doesn't know that he's actually died. Exactly. She's, she appears um, in the audio we retrieved. She appears to be uh, completely surprised. Okay. And to our listeners, we have audio of that encounter along with a lot of the videos and, and the 911 call at sfchronicle.com slash point hyphen blank. Uh, there is a viewer discretion advised. There are some very graphic uh, images that come along with, with that story. We have some audio of his mother talking to police that day. Let's have a listen to that. How, how um, come they, they killed him? He's, he's not in his right mind. Because he, he, uh, when he was driving the car, he drove towards an officer trying to hit the officer. They, I've been trying 
since April for him to be taken to the hospital. I know, I I've understand. I've been trying to get somebody to help me for him to be taken to the hospital. Oh my goodness. They shot him in, in, a, in a cold blood, like, you know, just like that. Oh my goodness. I cannot believe this thing. A reminder to listeners, we have that audio along with ni- a 911 call in the case and the videos, which, careful, they are graphic, at sfchronicle.com slash point hyphen blank. Okay, Rachel, so let's get to the aftermath of this shooting. The officer has said that he feared for his life, but the videos, as you say, show that it appears Latimer Arboleda was continuing to try to evade the officers. He was trying to move through two police cars, uh, continuing to drive. So the officer shoots Arboleda, and then what happens? The officer shoots Arboleda nine times. He... um appears to be unconscious at that point. His foot is stuck on the accelerator. And so his car goes straight and it's it's essentially a horse with no rider, I guess you could say at that point. Um, And it, you know, revs into an intersection and collides with a Jeep. And that's where it comes to a stop. You spoke to a number of experts in police tactics and use of force. What did they say about the shooting? So we spoke to six use of force experts. Um, They weren't all completely in line with each other, but four of them did say that um, they were very concerned by the tactics used by this officer, that he put his colleagues in danger and that he put the public in danger by shooting at into a moving vehicle. Um, You know, one use of force expert I talked to said that, um, shooting into moving vehicles. That's like a very, that's a very archaic f- kind of policing. Like that really went out in the eighties. Um, most police departments, including actually Contra Costa County Sheriff's department, um, do not allow that unless there's some kind of extreme cir- circumstances, like the driver of the vehicle has a gun pointed at you or something. Um, so, if, I mean, at least four of the four of the use of force experts we talked to saw this as a, a quote unquote bad shooting. And the idea is to get out of the way, right? Yeah, yeah. The idea is to get out of the way. I mean, when someone's when when you're chasing when an officer is when officers are chasing a um, suspect, you know, they always have to make judgment calls like. How much uh, traffic is there in the area? Are there pedestrians? You know, it was morning. There were more people out. It was a Saturday. So, I mean, they, the officer in this case did create a very dangerous situation. And one expert said that he thought the shooting was justified. And he actually, uh, you wrote that he remarked upon the fact that the officer even continued to fire as Arboleda's car passed by. Yeah, this expert, Don Cameron, um, remarked that it's very difficult for officers to just turn off a shooting stream right away that, you know, it takes a second or so to decide you're going to shoot somebody, but it also takes a second to essentially turn off that shooting stream to, to stop shooting. Um, so he was not surprised at all that this officer had shot 10 rounds just continuously. And indeed the, one of the reasons why you- Officers shouldn't fire on moving vehicles, according to the experts, is because the the car becomes an unguided missile. 
Um, and indeed, that's what happened in this case. Indeed, that's what happened in this case. It looked like Arboleda's foot just slammed on the accelerator and it just stayed there until he collided with this other car and his car came to a stop and the officers broke his window and pulled him out. Okay. And that other motorist was okay. The other motorist was okay. Um, she just, she had gotten hit by the air pay, airbag because the airbags deployed on both vehicles. This is all more than two years ago. First of all, what happened in the, in the matter in the police department? What happened with the internal affairs case? The internal affairs case was concluded in August of 2019. Um, Officer Andrew Hall got three days of administrative leave. That was just the protocol for any officer involved in a shooting. Then he went back to work. He is a traffic cop at the Dublin Police Department. Um, And it was found the administrative investigation found that no one from the Contra Costa County Sheriff's Office had violated any policies in this incident. Essentially ruling that he did act in self-defense, according to the Sheriff's Office. Yeah, and um, police reports from the incident do accuse Arboleda of two crimes, and one is um, evading police officers, and the other is assault with a deadly weapon, the deadly weapon being the Honda Civic. Okay, and we should note that the sheriff's office in Contra Costa County oversees the Danville Police Department under a contract. So, Rachel, the district attorney also has a decision to make, right? She can decide whether to file criminal charges against this officer. Okay, and that would be theoretically, as we've seen in other counties, murder or some sort of manslaughter, right? Exactly. Or she could clear the officer. Uh, why has it taken so long? Do we know anything uh, about why it's taken more than two years for the district attorney? One thing we know is about this district attorney is that she has she's a relatively untested district attorney. Um, she has um, characterized herself as a progressive reformer. Um, but she hasn't really staked out positions the way her counterparts in Alameda County and San Francisco have, where they have both charged officers um, with homicide. So this is actually an interesting test case for her. Um, we know that she has promised to publish a detailed report for any officer-involved shooting in which she does not file charges. And we also know that she has... Um, she said she has put a team of experienced attorneys on this case to look into it and really um, figure out whether charges are justified. You mentioned Nancy O'Malley, the district attorney in Alameda County, has charged an officer in a fatal case. Chase Boudin in San Francisco has charged officers in a few cases, including a, a couple of, of fatal cases. Rachel, things have really changed over the last few years and also since George Floyd, right? Yes. Yes. Things, things really changed. I mean, first of all, we've had um, some police reform in the legislature. Um, Notably, we had an assembly bill 392 that changed the standard for lethal force from um, reasonable to necessary. So it, it theoretically raised the bar. We've also had new police transparency laws that grant journalists, um, a lot of access to, um, police, um, internal affairs investigations. So we can really look at how these, um, reforms are investigated. We've also had, um, a lot of, we've had several 
district progressive district attorneys take office and really put pressure on um you know their entire institution um to make reforms and um change the criminal justice system and then we had George Floyd which just kind of broke something open in our society and just really um put pressure put a lot of pressure on some yeah. district attorneys to hold police accountable yeah yeah and just can you know re- reinvigorated the black lives matter movement now, you mentioned that that officers are supposed to use force only when it's necessary now under the new standard. But in this case, does that uh, does it make a difference when the shooting happened? You're right, Damien. It it would not apply to this case because this is a 2018 shooting. So this predates that law that was signed in 2019. So the standard would still be the one that we had a few years back, which yes. is reasonable. Yes, reasonable which is force. reasonable. Okay. Yeah. The last thing I want to ask you, Rachel, is about Latimer Arboleda's mother. You spent a lot of time with her while you were researching the story. You spoke to her. How is she doing? Um, how is she doing given that the case hasn't been resolved? You know, um, Jeannie, Latimer's mother, um, is still very distressed over her son's death. Um, she told me she has insomnia. She's not sleeping very much. She's extremely religious, and one thing that has really kind of thrown her into despair is that her son didn't get the sacrament before he died. Um, so that's that's very important to her to to know what what what's going to become of him. Um, and so I really get the sense talking to her that there's a lot that's still unresolved, and um, perhaps it will never be resolved for her. You know, it's when these shootings happen, it's just really devastating for the families and leaves them with lasting pain. All right. Well, thank you, Rachel. Thank you for your work in this case. It's an amazing story, very important. And thank you for doing it. Thank you so much, Damien. Thanks to my guest today, Chronicle reporter Rachel Swan. Again, that story is called Point Blank. It's at sfchronicle.com slash point hyphen blank. There's a 911 call, there is audio of the police investigation, and there are videos of the chase and the shooting. Again, caution, there is some graphic footage there. Also want to thank King Kaufman for producing this episode, and thank you for listening.